0: Hey, thanks, Pastor Dave. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to see all of you here today. uh, I'm excited because this morning I get to talk about one of my favorite subjects, and that's food. Um, I love to eat, and I know the rest of you do too, but unfortunately, as I've gotten older, I've come to realize that I've got to be more careful about what I eat because, you know know the saying, you are what you eat. So I've, I've been trying to be more careful about that, and recently I came across a very depressing article on a website called everydayhealth.com about the 10 foods you must never eat, all right, and it was, the reason why I, I said it was a depressing article was because, because everything on that list were things that I love to eat, or just about everything on that list were things that I love to eat, and so I thought that rather than me be depressed all by myself, I'll make you depressed with me. And I'm going to share that with you what is on that list. And I think you'll be very depressed uh, afterwards because you probably like all these things on the list. But number one on Everyday Health's uh, list of 10 foods you must never eat. Number one, potato chips, right? Potato chips, every, Everyday Health said, whatever you do, don't eat chips. Chips are bad for you. And I love chips. Honestly, I eat potato chips almost every day. And my favorite, that's being truthful to you, my favorite kettlebrand backyard barbecue trips, these right here, these are my favorite. And I think I like them because they're the cheapest. Um, at, at most stores. you can get them about sometimes you can get them for two for two for four dollars, two for five dollars. That's good for me. But what I love about kettlebrand is that they I'm giving them a big plug here today. Wow, this is amazing. Uh, they they come in a variety of um, Flavors, like, and I'm going to put some of these up here. Salt and fresh ground pepper, potato chips. chini. I don't know how to pronounce it. Wasabi ranch. Himalayan salt cooked in 100% avocado oil. Here's another one. Honey Dijon. Chili lime with citrus infused sea salt. Doesn't that sound good? Carolina barbecue. Spicy Thai, for those of you who love Thai food. Jalapeno, if you like it spicy, red curry, Korean barbecue for all you Koreans out there. This is Pastor James's favorite chips here. Tropical salsa. Hawaiian barbecue with ginger-infused sea salt for all you Hawaiians out there. Shaka. Maple bacon. Maple bacon. Spicy queso and chili verde for all you Mexican food lovers. I mean, so they they got all kinds of flavors, and it's crazy, but everyday health. Uh, says that just one ounce of regular potato chips has 152 calories or 10 gra- and 10 grams of fat, which means if you eat three, three ounces of potato chips a week, in one year you will have consumed 23,400 calories. Is that depressing or what? Right? I'm way past that. Second worst food you should never eat, according to everyday health, is any type of non-dairy topping like Cool Whip. Right? I love Cool Whip. Some of you put it on your rice. Pastor James, can't, there are some days when he can't get enough of it. I mean, this is crazy. That's, that's Pastor James. Everyday Health said that Cool Whip is mostly corn syrup and hydrogenated vegetable oil, and that's stuff you don't want flowing through your arteries or through your veins, right? Third fu- food they said you should never eat. Donuts. Donuts. This is so depressing. Check out these donuts right here. I bought these donuts. Actually, bought these donuts, and I'll tell you where I got it from in just a second. But every week, I mean, cops aren't the only ones who love donuts, right, James? Everybody loves, everybody loves donuts. You'll, you probably, you, if you go to our hospitality table after the service, there probably going to be donuts out there, right? And you, recently, I took our staff to Sidecar Donuts in Santa Monica. That's where we got these donuts, and man, they are—we, they are so tantalizing. We can get our, our, our. Our teeth into that and so if someone can bring me side donuts next week that would be great I'm kidding they're expensive and it's not good for you all right number four number four they said the fourth food you should never eat fettuccine alfredo fettuccine alfredo we love fettuccine alfredo we get ours from Costco right and it's drenched in butter and whole cream and parmesan cheese a three ounce serving which is the size of your fist 543 calories, right? 543 calories. That's really depressing. Number five on the list: sausage. I love sausage. Juicy, plump. Does nothing look? Oh, so good. I read that 50% of sausage is made from processed leftover parts of a pig, including the blood, the guts, the organs, and the pig's head, right? And a typical bratwurst contains 400 calories per serving. 35 grams of fat and nearly 1,000 grams of sodium. And some people are walking out saying, Man, I'm so hungry. i got to go get something to eat, right? Number six, fried chicken. Fried chicken. Say goodbye to the colonel, right? This is so depressing. I love chicken wings. Fried chicken wings, all right? Number seven, imitation cheese in a can, like the kind you use to make nachos. Man, I love, not- I love nachos. But only two tablespoons Of this stuff right here packs 276 calories 21 grams of fat 13 of which are saturated right and number eight oh you're gonna hate this one you're gonna hate this one french fries (laughs) oh let's hear that oh I love that french fries my favorite honest I go get them every Sunday after I'm done here at church I go get french fries from McDonald's I love McDonald's french fries because when I go there I always say no salt please and that, they have to make a fresh batch. <laughs> Seriously, because, because they always salt it, and then they leave it under that heat lamp, and sometimes if it's sitting there for 15 minutes, it doesn't taste very good, right? So I always say, no salt, please. They give it to you fresh, then they add the salt afterwards. It's so, so good. Try it, and I, 230 calories for this, which is not bad, not bad. Um, in-N-Out Burger, 400 calories for their french fries. Burger King, 670 calories for their french fries. So just go to McDonald's. Number nine, number nine, food you must never eat, white bread. Really? White bread? I mean, white bread is as American as apple pie, right? But according to, to Everyday Health, white bread is, is so bad for you that they said you might as well eat a candy bar. Okay, oh, hey, I'll eat a candy bar, <laughs> that's, that's good. Uh, It says it causes uh, blood sugar levels to rise and crash and all those kinds of things. And finally, number 10, number 10, things that you shouldn't eat, fried wontons. Oh, man, that's so depressing. My wife makes the best fried wontons, uh, but one of these puppies, here's the problem. One of these puppies can contain one, just one, 300 calories or more, and, and you can't eat just one, right? That's the problem. You have about... 10 or 11 of them, you know, like, and it just goes down real quick. And so that's life, all right? That's life according to everydayhealth.com. And if you followed their directions, there would be nothing to eat except kale and alfalfa sprouts, right? And that would be really depressing. Well, if you're concerned about your eating habits, then, well, you might appreciate today's message. If you're joining us the first time today, we've been in, this summer, we've been in this series called Live Like This, and we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. And the reason we're calling it Live Like This is because that's what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's all about how we ought to live our lives as Christ followers. It is Jesus' manifesto for how we ought to live our lives. And today we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 16 and 18, uh, just three verses there. And, and these three verses that we're going to look at today really uh, rounds out three habits that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 6. He begins in Matthew 6, starting in verse 1, talks about the spiritual habit of of uh, giving. And then we looked at that last week, verses 1 through 4. And then the second habit would be the habit of prayer, which we looked at last week. Pastor James took us through that last week, f- verses 5 through 15. Today, we look at the habit of fasting, fasting. Uh, and that's 16 through 18. Now to be really honest with you, fasting it, it, its not one of those topics that really gets us excited, right? That's why I didn't tell you last week. Had I didn't have Pastor James tell you last week. We're going to talk about fasting this week because none of you would have come because like, who wants to fast, right? Fasting isn't sexy. This is one of those things that just stokes our fire. It isn't fun. No one likes to fast. Everyone likes to eat like me. Well, today I want to share some thoughts with you about fasting that um, I think will surprise you. It surprised me as I did this study? I, I got some new insight in this, so I'm kind of excited to share it with you. But I want to open up our time in a word of prayer, and I want to ask you uh, to pray for a couple folks, several uh, families in our church. Um, we just got some bad news at the end of the week. Um, we got word on was it yesterday that Kristen Ford, who attends our church with her husband Andrew, um, he lost his battle with cancer. He's only 40 years old. Just lost his battle with cancer. Uh, a, a few days ago. And just just heartbreaking for for this young uh, couple. And then um, the other day we heard that um, someone, again, someone else attends our church, Lamonte Tate and his wife, Terry. Um, Lamonte lost his 31-year-old son, Lamonte Jr., in a tr- horrific uh, truck accident in, in Illinois. He was only 31. And so uh, both of these families are just reeling. And I, I had a chance to to see Lamonte and Terry and um, and Pastor Dave has been in touch with Kristen, but if you would keep them in prayer, um, I'd really appreciate that. All right, so we'll open up our time and word of prayer for them, and then we'll we'll open up God's word. Father, it's great to be at church, and I so appreciate, Lord, that we could come and 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 poke fun at each other and talk about fun things and. Um, and be silly at times. And, and, the, and then, Lord, there are times when our hearts uh, are so heavy. And, Father, uh, my heart's just heavy for, for Kristen and for Lamonte and for Terry and, and for his son's wife. And she's expecting a baby for the first time. And, Lord, it's just sometimes when you hear about these things, it just makes no sense, no sense whatsoever. And I ask God that you would do what only you can do. <clears throat> God, for all of us, even as pastors, we feel absolutely helpless. Feel like we're we just have nothing to offer. We have no answers. But God, we we have you, and we, we want to we, we ask that you would point their hearts to you, and you would help us to help point their hearts to you. Lord, I ask God that you would bring comfort and and peace and healing to Kristen and to Lamonte and to, Terry and all, and his son's wife. God, will you just touch them and comfort them? And Father, help us as a church also just to be sensitive to all those around us, Lord. As our church, as our family grows uh, larger, I mean, you, we hear more of these things. And God, help us to be attentive to all those around us. Even this morning, all, all those around us who might be hurting and, and 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 going through hardship. And Father, this morning I ask God as we ta- tackle this topic of fasting. <coughs> not one that we necessarily want to come and hear about, but I believe that there's something here for us, for each and every one of us. So I ask God, speak to us, speak, Holy Spirit, just speak very clearly to us, illuminate our hearts and our minds. So thank you, Father, we we ask you to bless us now, in Jesus' name, amen. I think it's important to begin uh, with a definition of fasting that fits our context, because you know, they're all there are all kinds of reasons why people fast and there are all kinds of things that people fast from so i want to let's get on the same page here uh you know people will fast uh, f- to lose weight they'll fast to cleanse their bodies they'll fast because they're going to have a medical procedure tomorrow and so the doctor says don't eat anything after midnight uh people fast from sweets and from red meat and from caffeine and i've even heard people say that they fast from their facebook or their instagram or even from watching TV. So here's a definition. And if you have a Baywatch, that's our program. Hopefully you received one when you, when you came in, right? There's a sheet in there with some notes on there, some verses, all, all verses are all listed there for you, and some fill-ins if you like that. And you can also follow along on our app. But at the very top, I put the definition of fasting there for you, and it's this. Fasting is the voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, all right? That's our, for our context, that's what fasting is. This is really a scriptural definition of fasting or biblical definition of fasting. It is the voluntary absence, abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, all right? Now, there's several things I want you to know about fasting as we get into this message today. And the, number, and the first one is this, fasting, Jesus never commanded to, us to fast, all right? You can write that one down. Fasting is not a command. It was not commanded. All right. Jesus never said, you must fast. Never said that. As I mentioned a moment ago, in Matthew 6, 1 through 18, he talks about three habits. Jesus tells us about three habits that ought to characterize the life of believers. The first one is giving. Well, I want you to know giving was commanded. If you look at Luke 12, Jesus commanded us to give. He said in verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the needy. If you circle that word, give, it is, in the, in, in the Greek, it is in the imperative form, verb form, which means it is a command. It is not a suggestion. It is not a recommendation. It is a command. We are to give. Specifically here, we are to give to the needy. If you look at the second habit, the second habit is prayer. We are commanded to pray. It is, a, it is uh, the, the habit of prayer. We are commanded to pray. In First Thessalonians 5:17, the Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. You can circle that word prayer. Again, the word prayer here is, or, or pray here, is an imperative verb. It is an imperative verb, which means it is a command, not a recommendation or a suggestion. It is something we must do. All right, so, the, so he begins, Jesus begins with the two habits, giving and prayer, and they are both commanded. They are things that we must do. But when we come to this third, third habit of fasting, I want you to know it's, been, it's never commanded. Jesus never commanded that we fast. Paul never commanded that we fast. In fact, the word uh, fast or fasting doesn't imp- appear in the imperative form anywhere in the New Testament, which means fasting is not a command. Therefore, you may you may choose to fast or you may not choose to fast. It's up to you. You don't have to fast. You can fast. And I know I see the relief coming over all of your faces and the smiles going, great, I don't have to fast, Right. So when it comes to giving, you must give. When it comes to praying, you must pray. But when it comes to fasting, you don't have to fast. And to further bolster this argument that you don't have to fast, not a command, there are more than 30 references to fasting in the New Testament, yet Jesus' own disciples never fasted. Take a look at Matthew 9, verse 14. It says, Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we... John the Baptist, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples, Jesus, do not fast, right? Jesus' disciples did not fast. And the next verse explains why. Verse 15, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him? Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with him? Let me explain this. Circle the word bridegroom. The bridegroom was a reference to the groom, right? The, the bride is the bride, But the bridegroom was a reference to the groom that today we've kind of shortened that. And we call the groom, we call the bridegroom, we just call the bridegroom the groom. He's not the bridegroom, we just call him the groom. Right? Jesus asked, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the groom is with them? In other words, when you go to a wedding and the bride is sequestered somewhere, uh, waiting to make her big entrance, we're all sitting in the chapel, you're all sitting in the garden area, wherever you might be to have a wedding and and you're with the groom usually with the groom and the groom is usually in the room somewhere and no one is mourning no one is crying out of sadness maybe someone's crying out of a joy but everyone is excited when you go to a wedding it's an exciting occasion uh bride groom the groom is pumped up because of what is about to take place and that is he's going to get married there's no reason to mourn and so you don't fast at a time like that if you look at verse 15 again the very, the second sentence there Says the, luck, the second half says the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So one day the groom will be gone. And when the groom is gone, the joy will be gone. The excitement will be gone. And that would be the time to fast. And by the way, this also is an analogy. This particular verse is an analogy to Christ. The bridegroom is a picture of Christ. And when Christ is gone, that would be the time to fast. And, and they had Christ with them at that time. And that was the reason why they didn't fast. So fasting is associated we get, what we glean from this, fasting is associated with overwhelming loss and despair, all right? You can write that one down. It is associated with overwhelming loss and despair. Let me give you some examples. When Bathsheba, with whom David had an affair, gave birth to a baby boy, She, she had an affair with David and she got pregnant because of that affair, because of that adulterous affair. She had a, she gave birth to a baby boy and that boy became sick and and was dying. That was David's son. He was dying. you know what David did? Take a look at 2 Samuel verse 12, verse 16, and 17. It says here, David therefore sought God on behalf of the child, <clears throat> and David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground, and the elders of the house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with him. All right. So what, what did David do when he found out that his baby boy was dying? I mean, he fasted. He fasted out of an overwhelming sense of loss and of despair. And I remember feeling that way when I was losing my dad to cancer. I mean, you just feel despair and you just feel this loss coming upon you. in many ways, if you think about it, in many ways, fasting is is the natural human response to loss and despair. When you're going through some really hard times, you don't even feel like eating, right? So it's a natural response. Let me give you another example. On another occasion, approximately 860 years before Christ. 860 years, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. He reigned over Judah. And Jehoshaphat was a good king. Well, one day, a powerful alliance of nations from the south, led by the Moabites, came up and decided to attack, march against Judah and attack it. And in every way, the Jews were outnumbered and they were outgunned. And uh, 2 Chronicles 20 describes the scene. Take a look at verse 1. It says, And after this the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meonites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. And some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. So, stop right there. There's this horrific scene where where this huge army is coming against this tiny nation of Judah, really small. Judah's basically half the size of, of Israel because the nation was split into two. And they're coming to attack Judah. And when the Jews saw what was coming against them, when they looked out in the land and saw what they were up against, they were absolutely terrified. And what did, you, what did Jehoshaphat do? Take a look at verse 3 and 4. Pick it up there. And and then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And I love this story because it's so raw and so real, so transparent. The first thing about Judah, it says here, was that he was afraid. They were terrified of what they saw. In the face of insurmountable odds and this paralyzing fear, the king proclaimed a fast. And we see from this story that the fasting is associated then with tremendous adversity and fear. You can write that one down. Fasting is associated with adversity and fear. And you know what God did? If you read the rest of the story, God showed up and he led them, he, he led the people of Judah to victory. It is one of the great stories in the Bible. I want to encourage you this week to go back and read it. Read 2 Chronicles 20, the entire chapter, and it will, it will fire you up. It's such a great story. Let me give you one more example of fasting. Most of you are probably familiar with the story of Jonah and the whale, except that it wasn't a whale. The Bible says that this beast that Jonah found himself in was actually a, a big fish, a great fish, is what it said. But God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh because the people there were wicked, and, and he wanted Jonah to speak to them and, and, and proclaim to them that they needed to turn around and follow him instead. Take a look at Jonah 1, 1 and 2. We'll set it, this will set it up for us. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. I'm going to stop right there. Nineveh was an actual city. It was a great city. And it's still there. The ruins of the city, you can find it in the, in the nation of Iraq, near Mosul. Nineveh actually is still there. And it's, the ruins are there. Uh, but it was actually this great city, and God said, I want you to go to Nineveh and proclaim a repentance and reclaim judgment to them. But you know what Jonah did instead? He got, a, he, he got on a ship and headed to Tarshish instead because, because he couldn't stand the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. Take a look at this map. I'll give you an idea of what we're talking about. So he's in Israel, or in Judah, and, and, and he catches a ship out of Joppa, the port city of Joppa. And by the way, when we go to, a bunch of us go to uh, Israel in November, we're going to be, that's going to be one of our stops. We're going to stop in Joppa. But he got a ship uh, heading to Tarshish, which is in in south of Spain, 5,000 nautical miles. Instead of going west, he went, or instead of going, yeah, instead of going west, he went east to Nineveh. Instead of of going east, he went west. Nineveh was located, again, in Iraq. It was about, 400 miles or so from, from uh, Israel. But he didn't go there because, again, he hated the Ninevites. Uh, to make a long story short, God intervened. You know the story, perhaps. God got him in the right direction, pointed Jonah in the right direction. Soon after, Jonah arrived in Nineveh and did what God asked him to do. He began to proclaim the message uh, of judgment. And it was a message of judgment that, that the Ninevites would be doomed forever If they didn't turn from their wicked ways, take a look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Yet 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. 40 days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he proclaimed judgment. He proclaimed that judgment was coming. Judgment was coming. Their clock had run out. They had 40 days to get their act together. God had reached the limits of His patience, and then they would face the eternal wrath of God, unless they turned around. That was kind of the message that he proclaimed. Just recently I heard an excerpt from a message that Pastor David Platt uh, delivered at his church that was similar to the one that Jonah preached. I was so moved by what he said that, that um, I, I want to share just a, just a couple paragraphs from, you, uh, for, uh, from that message for, with you. And here's, here's what David Platt uh, said. He said, judgment is coming. I just want to say that loud and clear to every person who is listening to this. I am assuming that most people who are listening to this are followers of Jesus. But if you have not trusted G- in Jesus, please hear this. Judgment is coming. You will pay the price for your sin if you do not trust in Jesus. You will spend eternity separate from the love and mercy and grace of God and everlasting suffering Everlasting punishment for sin. Judgment is coming. Trust and turn. Turn and trust in Jesus today. He has paid the price for your sin. If you will only trust in him. Trust his word today. I can't say it with enough urgency. And I know that's a tough message to hear. Right? And it was a tough message for the Ninevites to hear. But those were words of truth. They are words of truth because... God will not look the other way forever, right? And there, God will judge sin, and the clock is ticking, and I believe that judgment is coming to us as well. Judgment is coming because Christ is coming. And so just as he, Jonah proclaimed this to the Ninevites, we, we ought to proclaim that today so that we can get people to turn and follow Christ. And do you know what the Ninevites did when they heard Jonah's message? you know what they did? Take a look at Jonah chapter 3, verse 5. And it says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. So stop right there. Sackcloth was this coarsely woven fabric, usually made out of goat's hair. I mean, it had to be, you know, it wasn't soft, and it was itchy, and they and it, they would put it on, and it would sit in ashes, and, and it signified submission. And, and so the Ninevites, when they heard this message of judgment that judgment was coming they fasted out of an utter sense of desperation and urgency so you can write that one down fasting is associated with desperation and urgency i mean they they were about to experience the wrath the fullness of the wrath of god and so they put on this sackcloth and they fasted out of as a display of humility they fasted before the lord and they believed in him. They believed in the message that was proclaimed to them. You know, begs the question, how do, you, how do you react? What is your reaction when you hear a message like that? When you hear, when you've even heard what David Platt said, how do you react when you hear that judgment is coming? That judgment is coming. Do you just dismiss it, uh, you know, offhand? Or, or do you take that seriously? And does it cause you to want to get right with God? Because judgment, in fact, is coming. And you know what God did as a a result of their fasting and as a result of their faith? Take a look at verse 10. Jonah 3, verse 10 says, And when God saw what they did, that they fasted and they believed, it says how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He had said He would do to them, and He did not do it. God relented, right? God backed off. He didn't judge them. This was an incredible reversal. This is a stunning act of mercy and grace in the face of impending doom and gloom and judgment. And, and so one of the takeaways just from this story is that it's never too, too late to escape God's judgment. It is never too late to get right with God. It is never too late to set your spiritual house in order. And maybe you've come here today and you are far from God. You are far away from God. It is never too late. Let to, today be the day when you get your spiritual house in order and make yourself right, make, 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 make yourself right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, and judgment, God's judgment will be relented from you, it will be taken away from you, and you will not face that judgment, all right, so, so, so important, remember that judgment is coming. Finally, the, I want you to know this about fasting, fasting is associated with prayer, you can write that one down, it is associated with prayer. When David's baby got sick, he fasted, but not only did he fast, he prayed, if you look at 2 Samuel 12, verse 16 again, you'll notice it says here that David sought God on behalf of his child. So he didn't just fast, but he prayed for his child. He prayed for his baby boy. And then when Jehoshaphat called on the nation of Judah to fast in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 4, it says that the people assembled to seek help from the Lord. In other words, they prayed. They didn't just fast, but they prayed. And then when the Ninevites were confronted with the judgment of God, they not only fasted, but According to uh, Jonah 3, 6, 7, and then take a look at that. The Ninevite king called on them to pray. Look at verse 6. It says, The word reached king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And then he proclaimed, he issued a, a proclamation, and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. In other words, Fast. And then verse 8 says, But let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. In other words, pray. You want to pray like crazy. And so prayer is associated with fasting. As John MacArthur put it, you can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. Right? The two go hand in hand. So that's fasting. Right? That's fasting. Let me summarize it for you. According to the Bible, fasting is not a command. We are not commanded to fast. You don't have to fast if you don't want to fast. But if you fast, remember, it is associated with loss and despair. It is associated with adversity and fear. It is associated with desperation and urgency. And it is always accompanied by prayer. Right now, if you combine all these facets of, of fasting together, what emerges is a picture. Now, This is the part I want you to get. All right. What emerges is a picture of someone who is deeply and desperately dependent on God who is deeply and desperately dependent on God in the face in the face of extreme hardship, in the face of extreme turmoil, in the face of extreme misery and brokenness and hopelessness and desolation. That's what it is. That's fasting, right? It's a picture of someone who's deeply desperate for God, right? Fasting isn't associated. I want you to get this as well. It isn't associated with normal, everyday routine, the routine spiritual life of a believer. It's not associated with the normal everyday routine life of believer, which is what I used to think. That's what I used to think. I used to think that if I skipped a meal here and if I skipped a meal there and if I, if I didn't eat for the whole day or maybe for two days or three days, that God was gonna do something extraordinary in my life. Or he was gonna do something extraordinary in the life of the person that I was praying for. And then when I didn't pray, which was most of the time, uh, because I love to eat, I would go around feeling guilty, like, you know, I hear a message on prayer, I'll, I'll hear somebody who's is praying, and I, you know, it's like, man, I, I'm, just, I'm just a terrible Christian man, because i I love to eat, I, just want, I don't like to fast. I must be a terrible pastor, because I don't like to fast. And the reason I thought that, you know, the reason why this was in my thinking was because of something that I heard years ago that Dr. Bill Bright uh, said about fasting. Uh, Dr. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, today it's known as Crew. A uh, great organization, and from everything I know of him, he was a godly and great man. But here's what he said about fasting that had a profound, left a profound uh, impact on me. And here's what he said: fasting, he said, is the most powerful spiritual discipline of all the Christian disciplines. It is the most powerful spiritual discipline. And then he said, fasting, as it relates to prayer, is the is the spiritual atomic bomb that our Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in a great revival and spiritual harvest around the world. It is a spiritual atomic bomb that the Lord has given us to destroy the strongholds of evil and usher in a great revival around the world. And when I read this quote, I thought, yeah. Yeah, that's what fasting is, right? Amazing. It is the most powerful spiritual discipline. It is a spiritual atomic bomb with which we can destroy strongholds, the strongholds of the of the devil, and usher in a worldwide uh, revival. Think about that. It's a spiritual atomic bomb, right? Who wouldn't want a spiritual nuclear bomb in their arsenal, in their spiritual arsenal? Who wouldn't want to destroy the strongholds of Satan? Who doesn't want to ignite a spiritual revival all around the world? Well, we all do. As I looked at and I, as I thought about this, and I actually even gave a message on this years ago, um, I haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen, I haven't seen it around. I haven't seen anything like that going on around the world. I, and and I began to look at fasting. And I took these words, and again, I'm not knocking them, but I took these words, um, and I began to look at fasting as a tool, as a way to get something from God, as a way for Him to do something great in my life. Okay, I, I've got this huge. Trial. All right, so I'm going to fast, and you watch what what God does. And then I learned as I studied this uh, this week that's not what fasting is. It isn't a spiritual atomic bomb that you have in your arsenal, and you just go around like, okay, I'm going to fast, and like, boom, and boom. That's not what it is. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind. Don't mi- don't misunderstand me. All right, there, there's no doubt in my mind that through fasting and prayer, God can do some amazing and miraculous things. No question in my mind that that can happen, right? But it isn't a weapon which we use to get something for ourselves. That's not what it is. Fasting, for our purposes, is is not about that. As MacArthur said, fasting is never shown in Scripture to be the means to heighten spiritual experience. It's not about using fasting to get something like we want. Instead, write this one down. Fasting is an expression of my deep dependence on God. It is an expression of my deep dependence on God in times of uncertainty and trouble, right? In times of uncertainty and trouble. In other words, fasting is is us clinging to God. It is clinging to God out of a sense of urgency and desperate times. It is our expression of our great need for God in times of fear and adversity, in times of hardship, in times of calamity, in times of loss, in times of despair. It is It is our way of saying to God, when you're in a physically weakened state because you haven't eaten anything, it is our way of saying to God, God, I need you. I need you, God. I have no one else but you, only you. And see, when you fast, God may or may not answer your prayers. He didn't answer David's prayer, and his baby boy died. But you know what fasting will do? It'll change you. It'll change me. Because when you go before God and you're completely stripped down and weak, and there's and you have nothing, and you express your complete and total dependence on God, He can't help but transform your heart and your mind. He can't help but change you. You will sense His presence, you will sense His touch. his favor in a way that you will not if you simply go about your life in an ordinary way so write that one down fasting changes me right it does something in me because and it's not necessarily it's not just the fasting it's just coming before God, stripped down and crying out to Him. He's just crying out to God and saying, God, I need you. In fact, you don't, and, and again, there's there's a reason why it's not commanded, because you don't have to fast to experience that. You can experience that today. When we take communion, before you come up here, you might want to just get by your seat, just get on your knees and cry out to God because of some great need you have in your life, because of some great Grief you're experiencing. Cry out to God and say, "God, I, I need you. You are all I have." And so that's it, it. Changes us if you just if you choose to fast. It will change you. But again, as I said, it doesn't. You don't have to fast for God to change you. Well, that's all that to say. Let we come to the Sermon on the Mount. Let's take a look at what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Long introduction, but. Finally, that brings us to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Here's what Jesus said. And he said, and when you fast. And notice, if you circle the word when, notice he didn't say if you fast. He said, and when you fast. And the reason why he said when you fast, because fasting was a given. It was a given. It was something, it was a, it was, even though it wasn't commanded, fasting was something that was an acceptable practice even for Christians. He says that when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their, fa- their fasting might be seen, may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so the first thing that Jesus instructs us here is uh, how not to fast. He tells us how not to fast. And, and Jesus said, don't fast. Here's how, here's how you shouldn't fast. Don't fast by looking gloomy and by disfiguring your faces, which is what the hypocrites did. In other words, don't put on an act. Don't put on a show like the Pharisees did. They would contort their faces and look miserable like, oh, you know, and how do you feel when you, when you don't eat all day? That When I, when I don't eat all day, man, I'm, I get pretty grumpy. Pastor Galeb gets more grumpier than me. But, you know, we're like, oh, my, st- my stomach hurts. You know, my stomach will start to, I get these pains, and I'm like, oh, what's wrong? And that's what they're waiting for, right? That's what the Pharisees were waiting for. They were waiting for someone to say, are you okay? I mean, you don't look well. Are you okay? And that was the opening they were looking for, so they could say, well, I'm fasting. Oh, I'm fast. Oh! And then they wanted, then they wanted you to say, wow, you're so spiritual, Wow, you're you're so righteous. I've been fasting for 40 days. Wow, you're really spiritual, right? And that's what they were looking for. And that's why Jesus called them hypocrites, because it was all about optics. It was all about putting on a show so that others would say, look how spiritual you are. Yeah, we are so spiritual. Those those are the Pharisees. And so Jesus told them, don't do that. That's how we shouldn't fast. Then, Then Jesus went on to say, here's how you should fast, right? you anoint your head with oil and and you wash your face in other words get cleaned up make yourself presentable look decent put a put a smile on your face don't don't be but, but you'll look like you're you're all together right like so that so that no one would even suspect that you're fasting that's the idea here and so he closes these instructions by telling them that uh, that they should get their act together here and just like giving in prayer just like giving in prayer Jesus said let your fast be in secret, all right. In other words, just let it be in secret, and then your father will reward you in secret. So just just keep it under wraps, right? You don't need to tell the whole world, but obviously it's 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 obvious that we got we gotta tell a few people that you're gonna fast, right? I mean, some you don't always have to tell people, you have to, but but I, you know, especially if let's say you decide to fast on Monday, all right. So today tomorrow you're gonna just, you're gonna you said I, I I just need to get with God, all right? I'm gonna fast, all right? So. Uh, but you don't tell your wife you're going you're gonna to fast, right? Or you don't tell your mom or dad because they're making your lunch, they're packing your lunch, or they make, they're making your dinner that night. You don't tell them you're going to fast. So you go home, you go home, and you, you come home to a huge spread of food. Let's say your wife, and I know dad's cooked too, so, you know, can flip the other way around. But let's say you come home and there's this incredible meal, right? Tacos and enchiladas. I mean, like, it's just really <laughs> chips, right? Cool whip on the pumpkin p- cake, all this stuff, right? And, and, and she lays it all out She says, okay, dinner's ready. And you come in and say, oh, I'm not eating today. What do you mean you're not eating today? Why aren't you eating today? I can't tell you. It's a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Gary told me not to tell you. Don't blame it on me, right? No, no, no. it's okay. You tell her or you tell him, right? You tell him, I, I'm, I'm planning to fast tomorrow. I'm plan to fast on Tuesday and Wednesday, whatever it is, all right? So so that they that they know, right? But if you do it with wrong motives, it's your heart like, I'm fasting tomorrow. Wow. You know, and you know your own heart. Only only you and God knows your heart, right? You know your heart. God knows your heart. That's the thing, right? You may think, oh I'm not gonna say it that way. I'll say it a certain way. God knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking right? So write this one. That's your final point. Fasting should be undertaken discreetly, right? Might be necessary for you to tell some people, and that's okay. Make sure your heart's right. Do it discreetly so as not to bring any attention upon yourself, right? So that's it. Let me close by asking you some questions, right? Do you urgently need God in your life today? Do you urgently need God in your life? Are you desperate for God because you are hurting, because you are afraid, because you are stressed out, because you are in grief and in mourning, because you're anxious, because you're experiencing, perhaps you are experiencing today the greatest trial of your life. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. Maybe your finances have tanked. Maybe you can't find a job. Maybe you found out that your child is on drugs. Whatever it is. If you're desperate, consider fasting, right? You can even fast a meal. I mean, I, d- will will fasting a meal make a difference? It can and it can't. I mean, it, it, it can in the sense that it's just one meal, but it can if you use that one meal to say, I'm going to spend that hour when I don't have my lunch, and I'm just going to spend it on my knees just crying out to God because of this situation. It'll make a difference because it'll get your... Heart connected to God. Consider going before God. Do it today. We're going to take communion in just a few minutes. Do it today. Get stripped down. Totally helpless and weak. Cry out to him before you come up here to take communion. Or you might want to even do it up here. Right? Cry out to God. And he will hear you. He may not answer your prayers exactly the way you'd like him to. But I promise you, it will be well with your soul. It will be well with your soul. And you will experience this touch in a way that you never have before. And then finally, I just want to say, judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. For all of you who have never entered into a personal relationship with Christ, judgment is coming. Get right with God today. It's never too late. You can get right with God today. That's why God brought you here today, to get right with him. Let's close our time in prayer as you bow your heads and close your eyes again i want to just prompt you into prayer right? i want to lead you into prayer at first i'd ask if, if you're here today and you're desperate for god may have had breakfast this morning. That's okay. Cry out to him. Tell him how much you need him. Tell him how desperate you are. Tell him how there's no one who can help you except him. Tell him how there's no one who can touch you except him. God for years and years and years, and and then you just kind of walked away. Maybe you were real active in our church, and then, hey, you have just stepped away. And Today's the first time you've come back. It's never too late to get right with God. Get right with God today. Tell me in your own heart, in the quietness of your own heart, Lord, I need to get right with you forgive me please forgive me all my sins I confess them to you Lord I've hurt you I've hurt others I've offended you thank you for Jesus thank you that he died on a cross for my sins I put my faith and trust in him say that to him say that to him and you will be made right with God hurting. We are messed up and we are sinful. We offend you by the very sins that we commit. Forgive us, Lord. Take us back into your arms. And God, many in this room are experiencing the greatest trial of their lives loneliness and hurt, brokenness and grief, hardships and adversity, hopelessness and desperation, so many, because of health reasons, because of relationships that are broken, because of emotional issues that are breaking our hearts, because of addiction, because of the things that are going on in our families. Because of the things that are related to our finances. So many things, Lord. Lord, we cry out to you. We, We want to proclaim to you, Lord, we have no one but you. Help us, God. Touch us, Lord. Comfort us, God. Lead us. Be our light in the darkness and lead us through these times. Hold on to us, Lord. Thank you. We thank you that you are always available to us, that you always love us, that you're always faithful to us. Lord, we give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name.